You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, a podcast geared towards marketing professionals in higher education. This show will tackle all sorts of questions related to student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, here with Bart Kaler. Today we have a wonderful conversation with the president of Saybrook University. His name is Dr. Nathan Long, and he makes a great case for how to be authentic and successfully marketing your university through that authenticity. He's someone that you want to listen to, but more importantly, someone you want to follow and get to know. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Troy, and, and I really like the conversation that we had with Dr. Long. He's very articulate and has a really a lot of really passionate things to talk about, and I will give him cred. He's taken a, a school from an enrollment about 350 to over 1,000 in, in seven or eight years, and so he talks about how he's done that. Authenticity in their messaging is a big part of that, and he'll also go through and some, talk about some of the other things that they've done and ways that they've in, invested in different opportunities, but also invested in a collaborative environment with some other schools. And so a lot of really good information here, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of what I would call kind of uh, on the edge thinking on how to market and think about how to uh, manage the resources at a small institution. So really good conversation. Here's our conversation with Dr. Nathan Long. We are so appreciative that Dr. Long is giving us his time and his wisdom about all the wonderful things that are happening at Saybrook University. But before we get into that part of the conversation, Dr. Long, if you would, could you share with us anything that you've learned in the past week or two that would be deemed either interesting or unique that you think listeners would be interested in hearing about? Well, this has nothing to do with higher education. So I'm going <laughs> to, you, you know, we, we've been uh, in, inundated with a ton of stuff about the royals, right? Uh, Queen Elizabeth yeah. uh, yes. passed away. So I was remarking to my daughter, who is actually studying over there, I'm like, you know, this is pretty impressive, uh, you know, all the uh, pageantry, all the, the mourning. And she goes, yes. And can you imagine this? That she has a crown that weighs 2.3 pounds and she's worth $500 million. There's, so it's something new I learned this week. Wow. Uh, about the, wow. Yeah, right? I mean, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yes. We know that they're prominent. We knew that they were wealthy. But to put actual numbers and how heavy that crown is is very interesting. <laughs> so thank you very much. That's right. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Dr. Long, I think... The reason why we have you on today is there's so many great things going on at Saybrook University, and it's probably of a size that is typical to a lot of our listeners. It's you know not a, a large university, and it's probably you're facing some of the same challenges that other universities your size are facing. So if you would, tell our listeners a little bit about Saybrook. And then we'll get into the conversation about the growth and the reasons why you feel you're experiencing that growth. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll give the shortened version. I can give the hour long or the, uh, you know, three minutes. I'll focus on the three minute. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I'm sure uh, Yeah, we can all appreciate brevity in, in this day and age. So 
Saybrook University was founded 52 years ago, and almost 52 years ago in 1971, and it's the Humanistic Psychology Institute, uh, and it grew out of a whole series of institutes across the country that were steeped in humanistic psychology, which is known as the third force in psychology. Bottom line is, over those uh, 52-ish years, uh, Saybrook has grown from one Ph.D. program in the 70s. Uh, after it gained accreditation, added a couple more, and now today stands at you know, roughly 26 master's and Ph.D. programs across a range of disciplines, including counseling, psychology, clinical psychology, integrative medicine and health sciences, and a degree entitled Transformative Social Change. We also have business programming, uh, as well as uh, some other unique certificate programs that support practitioners out in the field. As you mentioned, uh, we are a smaller university in terms of those that are out there. We just hit 1,014 students as of our census. <laughs> Thank you. We were pleased. We uh, have grown from uh, right around 450 back in 2014 to that 1,000 number uh, just about eight years later. So I uh, have seen that growth along with uh, a number of uh, investments and growth in our faculty, our staff, and and then, of course, across uh, multiple other areas. So it's been great. And then I guess the, the most important thing in terms of how we deliver education is that Saybrook actually was one of the first pioneers in the distance education space and notably a nonprofit uh, institution of higher learning. Our founders were actually folks that if you're in higher ed, you know these people. They're Abraham Maslow, they're Carl Rogers, James Bugenthal, people that were notable in psychology that were uh, and served as our uh, initial faculty and board members uh, that brought Saybrook into existence. And that distance model was designed to as Rollo may, uh, paraphrasing here, but essentially blow the formal walls off higher education and create greater access to students who wanted that rigorous uh, high-end education, if you will, back in the day. So these faculty would come from all over, you know, whether it's Ivy Leagues or the elite private institutions to teach, uh, you know, usually twice a year uh, for those students. We've kept a lot of that model intact, mostly virtual in all of our programs, and have delivered, I think, uh, and continue to deliver a very excellent educational experience across all of our programs. Dr. Long, you've recently said that in spite of some of the challenges that faces the higher ed industry will describe, that you are very optimistic. So to set a foundation for our conversation, if you would, if we can kind of talk about what some of those challenges are, what you deem them to be, and then the reason why you are optimistic either as higher ed as a whole or what you're doing at Saybrook. Yeah, and I think, appreciate the question, Troy. I think the many of my colleagues, I will say, out across the country would resonate with these. I, I don't think they're any big secret, right? But, you know, most of us in higher education, whether we're the smaller nonprofit privates to the larger institutions are dealing, I think the first point would be uh, with a crisis of confidence in higher education from the general public, right? So we're seeing that more and more in the news uh, media, uh, questions around the value of a degree, questions around what is being taught, how it's being taught. And so I think that is really uh, one of the more psychological components that uh, higher education institutions broadly are challenged with. I think secondly, you know, the other major challenge that's out there, and it's connected to the first, and it was, I alluded to it, is the return on investment. So 
If I, as a student, am going to take out numerous student loans or even some student loans, I want to have some relative assurance that I'm going to be able to pay those back with a career that is going to be lucrative enough to help me pay those back and have a long-term earning potential. Uh, and I think that's a real critical piece uh, that for most of our uh, incoming students and our current students and those who've graduated today, I, I think it's most important to note that colleges and universities are seeing such a dramatic shift from that those days of yesteryear, I think when probably wasn't about getting the job at the end of the rainbow, right? It was expanding your mind, living your life to, you know, a better, more you know, civically minded life and doing those things. It's now turned into very much a, you know, those are important, but the, what job can I get with this degree? How am I going to be successful? And I think third is is the cost of a higher education experience, right? So that's the other challenge. And and we, my team and I were just talking about this the other day. So if it's okay, I'd like to just you know opine about this for a moment. I think the one of the key pieces around the cost of higher education in the national discourse is that colleges and universities are overpriced. They're charging too much. But that doesn't get at the nuance, right? And I think one of the problems that we have as an industry is articulating clearly what that nuance is. And that nuance is that, for example, small nonprofit private institutions are required to really fund everything soup to nuts, you know, within their infrastructure. State institutions have some state subsidies, federal subsidies that support their their work. And so you see varying different degrees of cost levels for students. And I think it's hard to impart that to the public about what actually goes into it. You got to think we've got to pay for our faculty, understandably. We want great faculty. We want great student services to support our students through. And I think it's creating some challenge and push for institutions around the enrollment front, around decision making for prospective students and the collective consciousness, you know, that kind of unsurety about uh, the, the college experience in general. So many schools are, are just now, you know, depending on where they are really getting down to understanding net profit. And, and this isn't the place to go into net profit sure. and, and the business of higher ed. But I do think that something that you said there was, was really critical is being able to articulate that differentiation, um, especially the smaller schools. I, you know, I was talking to someone today at lunch, and we were, we were discussing about how so many small schools think that they compete against other small schools when the reality is they're competing against the state systems. And yeah. I think that to have that mindset and be able to differentiate yourself more from the other options of community college, of state systems, of other things, and, and explain why a small school might be a, a better or more intimate setting for your educational experience, I think that that seems to be one of the areas. I mean, obviously, you've got a lot of levers that you've been pulling at, at Saybrook, including you know, the idea of the infrastructure and being able to share costs with, with, um, through across that. But I think, you know, maybe tease out a little bit just about this idea of how to market your institution in that differentiating way of really being able to articulate your distinctives. You know, so I was a state school kid. You know, I, I got my bachelor's, master's, and doctorate all from public institutions, proud of those. The, the core reality is I would say it's not that I mean, yeah, you could say technically we're competing, but we're providing greater capacity for the numbers of individuals who are looking to get into programs that 
state institutions can't necessarily provide access to, right? Because there's a limitation on the number of students in a cohort, for example. And so I think to your point, Bart, that if we can lean into, here's what we can offer, and we can offer a, a better, more integrated, individualized experience, right, for those students who are seeking us out, and then deliver it, that's going to be key. The second piece and I, you know we've talked about this a lot at Saybrook and and across our system that we're a part of, authentically telling the story of you of us. When we start focusing on everything else around us, when we start talking about uh, you know the things that don't really enter into Saybrook's orbit, we we start to drift. Once we start to pull things back in about who we are, what our legacy is, what our mission is, why we have so much to offer to our students, and talking about that value proposition as a small nonprofit private, the sky's the limit. It is so critical that we do tell that story. We, we talk about opportunities, um, you know, because I think so many times small schools, they tend to focus on what they don't have compared to others as opposed to what they do have. And I think that it's so critical that we really lean into sometimes the smallness is the strength and really being able to articulate that well would go very far. Now, one thing I'd, I'd like to kind of talk about, and I'm going to let Troy kind of open up this next question, is talk a little bit more about these collaborations. You kind of, you know, spoke a little bit to it, but the idea of, of especially the infrastructure and being able to reduce that cost per student, because obviously if you can do that, there might be more room in the budget for marketing and some of the other things. Fabulous that you bring that up. So TCS Education System is our system in which we are one of six schools. The exciting piece of this is back in 2014, Saybrook made the decision to join uh, the system. The board did at the time, and we were in a parallel process where they were searching for their new president, which turned out to be me, and then turning out to figure out how can we economize, make more efficient the, the infrastructure that we have to focus in on our academic mission. And TCS fit the bill. Coming in as a previous college president from a, a smaller institution, the thrill, the absolute thrill, was to not have to find where my benefits for my staff was coming from, find where, you know, financial aid packaging, all the things that are not sexy when it comes to higher education, but are so vital to the life of the institution, were provided by TCS. But it's more than just a third party service provider. They do provide marketing, which is vital, and we'd love to talk more about that, especially on this podcast, along with HR and other supports. It's also this constellation of professionals working together. So the presidents all work collaboratively together across institutions. You do not see that typically in higher education. The vice presidents for academics work collaboratively and on and on and on. And what's exciting about that is there's this esprit de corps about how we engage, interact. If we're having a challenge at an institution, we're able to talk it through. If, you know, collectively there's an issue, uh, COVID-19 was, you know, principally comes to mind, uh, you know, in terms of how we were able to, you know, really uh, grapple with that and succeed through what was a very uh, odd and, and very difficult period for a lot of institutions. Uh, I think that's the benefit of the system. And, uh, you know, but it, again, I think it's important to note that being part of that system, it's not just about purchasing services like you would with an OPM. It's really about becoming partners within and that you have core obligations to each other. 
uh, you know, for the common social and community impact that our students, faculty, and staff have. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by SpokeNote, the simple way to add video to anything. If you're looking for an innovative, effective way to get someone's attention, you really ought to check out SpokeNote. They make these easy-to-use QR code stickers that allow you to record and share personalized videos with anybody. We're seeing SpokeNote stickers used on campuses in some really interesting ways, such as outreach to prospective students, maybe through acceptance letters, welcome messages from student ambassadors during the campus visit and orientation, student life applications like placing About Me videos outside a dorm room, even personalized fundraising appeals from the development office and athletic recruiting videos from coaches. The applications for SpokeNote in and out of education are really endless. Try them out today by placing an order at SpokeNote.com. Welcome back. Let's rejoin the conversation right here on The Higher Ed Marketer. That's really interesting. And again, I, I had a lunch with someone today and we were talking higher ed. We're, we're both in higher ed. And, and his one of his ending questions was, what do you think the future of higher ed looks like? I mean, there's a lot of challenges coming. I mean, you know, you've, you've you kind of alluded to it earlier, uh, Dr. Long, about just the, the rising costs, you know, the, the way that, you know, the public perceives the value, even, you know, the, the 2025 enrollment cliff that, that's being discussed and things like that. And so, I guess part of the question that I have is, is you know, this collaborative model seems to be one of the answers moving forward. And you kind of indicate a little bit, and, and I specifically for our audience today, I mean, certainly we've talked about a lot of the other ways that the collaboration works, but let's talk a little bit about that marketing collaboration, because I think that's where yeah. a lot of people might be interested, because as, as you know, a lot of smaller schools, marketing staffs are limited. You might have two, three, five, ten people, but the amount of marketing opportunities out there, whether it's, you know, from social media like TikTok all the way to print to web, there's a video, there's a lot of expertise that's that's needed to you know, adequately market a university. Talk a little bit about what that what that does in your collaborative environment. Our marketing team, I would say, I just got a, an email from the chief operating officer of our system announcing for the, I think, ninth or 10th year in a row, the marketing team has won several Eddie and Ozzy awards, which are pretty, uh, you know, prominent in the field. That's just an example of the fact that we have this award-winning, incredible marketing team at our disposal that Saybrook on its own, to your point, Bart, would never have been able to afford to, uh, you know, ever be able to leverage in that way. And they do so much for us from brand development to website maintenance and creation of new program and portal pages to lead gen marketing and working with our vendors uh, to tweak our leads and make sure that we're getting the right mix of those coming into our admissions team here at Saybrook uh, and everything in between. Honestly, you just wouldn't have that capacity with a smaller institution. Point when I first started at Saybrook, our website and God bless whoever did it before. So I'm not trying to be critical, but <laughs> right. it needed a lot of work. Let's just say it was front facing, back facing. No one could find anything. Everyone was trying to figure out, like, where do I apply uh, for admission? So I talked with our marketing team and, and together we were like, we need to go through a full rebrand. And I kid you not, within nine months, we had rebranded the entire institution from A to Z. 
Now, that would typically take years to get done. And that team was able to mobilize and bring us on board in a way that in terms of branding. And literally, I think that was functional to our success in enrollment over those you know couple of years because we had, had stagnated. And that brand differentiation, the way in which we were leveraging social and other paid media sources uh, for search was, was instrumental. Really warms my heart when I'm able to work with an award-winning marketing team on a daily <laughs> yeah. basis. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. And as you said, a lot of small schools just wouldn't have the resources to be able to pull that that's off. Right. So that's that's really exciting. So do you think that um, you know, as we're kind of talking about this collaborative approach, do you think that other schools your size and, and your experience, I mean you you've been president at a couple different institutions, do you think they could achieve similar outcomes without going into kind of the formal collaboration that you did? Or do you think that, you know, it's more difficult? Well, I think in this day and age, let, let me start with this. I, the president of our system, Michael Horowitz, has often said, and we would fully agree, there are 4,000 institutions of higher learning in the country, more depending on what you're putting right. into that bucket. That number is way too many. You know, if you really think about the, the scope of competition, you mentioned, Bart, the you know, demographic cliff that's coming up. You're, you're seeing a shrinking pool of students for the longer term. Sure, if you want to try and go it alone, but my question would always come back to, to why do it if you don't have to? Why would you force that sort of pain onto you and your institution when you could find other collaborative consortial opportunities? I'm not suggesting that TCS is the only way to go, but right. certainly the model itself, when you're able to preserve your governance structure, you're able to get quite a bit of value, uh, not only for what you put into it in terms of money, but in terms of human capital. It pays for itself and then some uh, in the, the longer term. And the bottom line, this is the key is that our students are who benefit. It's not yeah. just about the faculty or the students or, or the staff and the, the leadership. It is about our students. And when we can serve our students better as smaller institutions, that's the kind of crux of, I think, why that relationship, those, those symbiotic collaborations are important. So I guess in a nutshell, I would say the more collaboration, the more ways in which we can find to come together, the better we'll be as an, an industry, as a sector, and the smaller institutions will be in general. Dr. Long, earlier when you were describing the benefits of collaboration for marketing, you touched on enrollment growth, and you also mentioned that you reached 1,000 uh, students for the first time. So we'd like to know if you would share how the collaboration has positively affected your enrollment growth. So open book on this front, and uh, it's never one individual, right? But I think the collaboration itself served as the catalyst for much of what we've been able to do over the last uh, eight years uh, during our affiliation. So I would say first and foremost, it was really resetting the marketing, the brand work that I mentioned before. That was critical to getting our name out there and, and, and more brand penetration. Secondly, I think the, the piece around lead generation. So we were able to really start investing dollars as we started you know, creating more enrollment and creating more surplus revenue uh, in order to, you know, put that back into the infrastructure to uh, advertise more. And in turn, as we were able to do more investments on that front, 
invest more in the faculty and staff infrastructure over the years, which in turn has created stronger student confidence and excitement over the work that we've been doing. So it, it, was a, it has been a snowball effect. That doesn't mean there aren't still challenges. It doesn't mean there are, you know, we, we just give up and say, oh, we hit a thousand. We don't have to be vigilant anymore. But those were some really key pieces. And I think also evaluating very, very thoughtfully and courageously what programs are working and what are not. Um, Because in the marketplace, it's saturated already with a lot of academic programs that are out there. And really thinking about, I think this goes back to Bart's question earlier around differentiation. Where do you play best in, right? What is, where, where can you deliver the best experience for your students. And sometimes not every program is worth uh, the institution doing because it takes you off mission, off scope, off topic, off story of what you're trying to accomplish. So I would say that growth uh, has really uh, occurred in ways that we couldn't imagine. I'd say the, 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 probably the fifth most important, and I would probably put that somewhere near the top of this too, is, you know, listen, online delivery is has been critical for Saybrook University. And as someone who was reared and has taught in on-ground uh, large institutions, I am uh, I, and I have been a convert of the virtual experience. If it's done really well and with intention around personal relationship building. So if our faculty are patched into our students, if you're, if our faculty are, are delivering the best they can do and our students are feeling a sense of community, that online experience just generates an ongoing positivity around their overall Saybrook experience. And that's what I mean by if we're not remaining vigilant enough around how we deliver and we get lazy or we're, you know, we're thinking, okay, we, we've, we've done what we need to do, th- those gains can be lost very quickly. So not to be negative, but I think it, it is also about giving the best product you possibly can, brand, marketing, and then also maintaining all of those uh, fundamentals and excellence in the delivery consistently and ongoingly. So. I love that because, I mean, it gets back to those four Ps. I mean, you've got, you know, promotion and product. I mean, we were talking about that right now as, as two of those. But I, I really like the idea of, of what you just communicated there because I think that's a little nugget of, of, of higher ed marketing that I want everybody to, you know, realize is that part of the success of that online community that you've done is actually create community and create emotion yeah. and create that. And that's part of what our marketing needs to reflect is that even if you have an online program, being able to show that community, because at the end of the day, all of us want community and all of us are wired that way. Um, you all probably know that better than anyone being the, you know, based on the psychology that you're teaching your students. But the idea that we need to be able to show that and demonstrate that is one of those distinctives. And if we do have a very strong online program, I love the fact that you just kind of articulated that. And I'm sure that, you know, TCS and the marketing team are using some of that to be able to communicate that to prospective students on why your online community is is unique and different than, you know, just the standard, you know, log into Moodle and, and check off your, you know, what you're doing. I appreciate that, Bart. Thank you. Dr. Long, you are also considered being active on social media, and you're considered doing it effectively and successfully on behalf of the university. And would just like for you to share your approach and the reason why you feel it's important and if you are satisfied with the results that you're able to achieve uh, in the communities that you're able to connect with. 
Oh, this is a, 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 an awesome question. Uh, yeah, so social media is, I realize for many, it's the bane of their existence, especially, uh, you know, I've talked to many a college presidents who are like, I will not go on Twitter. I will not do Facebook. <laughs> they just <laughs> avoid it like the plague. And the reality is I get it. Like, you know, if I if, if there were other venues or means to do it, but here's the other side to that is that I've been able to, as a president, connect with communities at Saybrook and beyond in ways that I didn't think I could. Now, would I like to have more likes or more engagement, you know, to kind of reinforce the work that I'm doing? Yeah, of course. I think we all would. But where we've seen success is that ability to connect with our faculty, our staff, our alumni, and our community uh, in additional ways to our standard institutional pages. So, my process, you know, there is there is no uh, formula that I've applied. I wish I could say, like, it's rigidly disciplined. Um, but I definitely am all about uh, several things. One is posting at least five to six times a week. And I intersperse those postings, not just with things about, you know, here's something about the university or an event. I'm posting things about the people of our institution, the students who have been successful and congratulating them, our alumni who are doing great things out in the world, our faculty who are killing it on research or teaching and really you know, acknowledging them. And then we also have a podcast. So uh, Saybrook Insights is one of our podcasts, and we've been really uh, amping up and ramping up the the site uh, and the, the way in which it looks. Um, and people are really responsible responding to that. And they say, oh, so here's this online institution that is really doing things that are out there. The president's there, the faculty are there, they're all talking to each other, they're engaging in that way. And so they're seeing a vibrancy uh, back to what we were just talking about, a community that is is really patched into each other. And, and so I find it as one of those things that I'm always working to tweak the messaging, always working to uh, figure out how to further connect with students and alumni and our communities in ways uh, that will be meaningful to them and also, uh, you know, value added, right, in terms of their experience overall. Um, and I think the other piece of this is, uh, you know, if you're asking, I think you're asking implicitly in this, what advice would I give to college presidents and other leaders who are out there? Just do it and be patient with it and, you know, make sure you're focusing on going back to the first thing I was saying is tell your story. Tell, right. be authentic. If if you're not into talking about students and alumni kind of secondhand, talk about you and your family and things that, that, that can connect with people on a personal level. People love to know who their leaders are, what they're doing, what they're about, and just to get started. And that makes all the difference. You don't have to have bells and whistles. You just need to be out there and be connected in that way. And the last point I'll make is that that has a... So I'm under no illusion that I'm bringing in like thousands of students to Saybrook University because of my social media. What it does do is it allows the, the, the larger university brand to expand across the internet, right, and across the communities. And so it feeds the institutional brand. It feeds the other connected assets that we have as an institution. And the more we do that, the better it gets, and uh, I think the stronger it is. So you're telling us that we should not look on TikTok for the latest dance that you're going to be doing to bring those students in. So, <laughs> <laughs> funny you should that. 
<laughs> I do have TikTok videos, but they were experimental. Okay. And in our fabulous Fair marketing enough. team, don't do TikTok anymore. <laughs> it's it's interesting, and I, I want to just underscore what you said about authenticity. I was at a uh, I was at a new president's retreat uh, several years ago. There were, you know, one of the organizations I'm a part of brought in several new presidents for for a retreat, and one of the presidents, bless his soul, he, he was like, you know, raised his hand and said, "Hey, I, I've been thinking about getting on social media, but I've had a few people tell me I need to be more hip if I'm going to be on social media. I, I need to I need to kind of put on this persona." And I said, no, what, what the world needs is an authentic president. They don't need a hip president. They need an authentic one. And so I would just, uh, what I'm hearing you say is the exact same thing, is that be yourself, be who you are, be the best version of that on social media, because that's what's going to help. And let's face it, college presidents aren't very hip usually. Right? <laughs> Unless it's Walter Kimbrough, who has been on the podcast. He, he goes yep. as the hip hop prez. He can pull it off. He's done a great job with that. He's, he's now at, uh, I think he's at, I can't remember if he's at, I think he's at Morehouse now. He did a great job and, and he can pull it off, but he's not the average college president. So that's, that's great. So yeah, Santa Ono, same thing. Uh, same, same kind of feel on that front. Yeah. I would also argue, Dr. Long, that you have a very cool vibe, and that is a subset under hip. So I, <laughs> I give that to you, and you I would encourage our listeners to go out and verify that by following you and pulling down some of your content. Uh, I appreciate that. I'll get my dance going on TikTok, too, and we'll just see how I am. As we bring our conversation to a close with like to ask this question that we usually end our conversations with. Is there a piece of advice that you could offer that we didn't cover today to listeners so they may experience some of the wonderful success that Saybrook has experienced over the last few years? That's a, a great question. I mean, I, I, I think some of this may be rehashed, if that's all right, but, you know, maybe Please. to bring it home. And And I think, you know, for me, you know, just in terms of where we're at, you know, first of all, be vigilant in everything that you do from marketing to finance to enrollment. Never take anything for granted. That's top notch. Number one, uh, never assume, and you know, always be vigilant. I think the second thing is really related to the marketing piece. And I think you've heard it now like five or six times between you, Troy, me and Bart. Be authentic in your larger institutional marketing to the uh, work that you're doing as a college president or as a marketing leader or an enrollment leader. Uh, lean into that space because that's where your students are really hoping to find that connection uh, with you and, and with your particular uh, focus. And and then the, the third thing I think ultimately is, you know, have fun with what you're doing, whether it's the marketing or the vigilance piece. We have so much to offer the public. Um, and higher education is in a space right now where, yes, there are challenges. But if we really revamp our thinking a bit and reframe how we're kind of coming at things, there's so much opportunity. So seize that opportunity, have fun with it, and figure out new ways to explore how we can reach new markets. And don't get caught up in what we can't do, but what we can do to really you know, support the public good through higher education. And I think those would be my three takeaways. Thank you, Dr. Long. How can people either find you or reach out and contact you if they would like to do so? 
Well, I think I've got these all memorized right down for uh, the long term. Facebook, find me at Facebook slash Saybrook President. Twitter handle Saybrook U Prez with a Z. LinkedIn, uh, Saybrook President again. And then, of course, you can find me on the web online. And I will also make a shameless plug for our podcast, Saybrook Insights. You can find us on Apple iTunes, YouTube. We have a companion video cast along with Spotify and all major podcast platforms. You can learn all about Saybrook University through those venues as well as what I'm doing. Dr. Nathan Long, thank you for a wonderful and rather hip conversation. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Bart, do you have any final thoughts before we sign out? You know, a lot of times this is when I will do kind of a summary, but Dr. Long did a great job in his last comments about a, a summary. So, I'll just kind of say that, um, you know, authenticity, authenticity, authenticity is going to be your friend, storytelling, and being able to, you know, tell those stories authentically and being able to, uh, you know, accurately and uh, articulately talk about your differentiators in an authentic way. I think that kind of summarizes a lot of what we're doing. And then also really consider this whole idea of collaboration. I, I think that uh, Dr. Long kind of talked about that and, and, and their relationship with, with TCS. And he mentioned uh, Dr. Horowitz. We actually had him on the podcast a few episodes ago. So be sure to go back and listen to Dr. Horowitz's um, conversation and if you want more information about, about that particular system. But I do think that the future is going to be more collaborative in, engagement and shared knowledge with universities. I mean, we, we, we have to do that to be able to survive. So thanks so much for the time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Troy. Thank you, Bart. The High Red Marketer podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, advancing brands that advance education. Also by Ring Digital, increasing lift and yield within your emissions funnel. And by Think Patented, a marketing execution company combining direct mail and unique digital stacks for higher ed outreach success. On behalf of Bart Kaler, my co-host, I'm Troy Singer. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.